Uh, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, last week we talked about it's not just a cross. Uh, we talked about uh, the Lord. We talked about Jesus. We talked about what he did on the cross for us. And tonight, here it is. If you'll go ahead and put this at the top of your notes, the title is It's Not Just a Career. It's not just a career. And so we're going to continue to build every week on this series and even last semester and look at what the Lord has for us as we grow in knowledge of the word and as we grow in uh, holiness, as the Lord continues to sanctify each one of us to look more like his son Jesus. And tonight we land with career, a big topic, especially amongst this season of life and where you are. When it comes to life, there's two questions you know you're going to be asked no matter what, right? When, when you're in college, when you're in that season, or when you're figuring things out, everybody asks you the question, what are you majoring in? Has anybody been asked that lately, right? Especially Christmas, right? Your parents, your, your extended family, they forget what you're studying, right? They got to ask you 40 times, what's your degree again? What are you doing? And then you're like, you know, I'm a graphic designer, and then et cetera, et cetera. And so you get asked all the time, what, what are you majoring in? Well, here's how it is when you get out of college. When you're, in, when you're 25, when you're 26, when, when you're not in school, there's a question you know you're going to get asked for the rest of your life. Right? Every time you go to a social event, every time you meet new people, anytime you go to church, you're always going to get asked this question. Right? And the question is, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Right? You hear that question asked. Like That's the question we get asked for the rest of our lives. It's one of the first questions. right? Hey, how are you? My name's Daniel. Cool. What do you do for a living? So natural, isn't it? Like you've just heard it. Like It's our culture, especially in America. What do you do for a living? What's your job? What's your career? So it's no wonder that for us, when we're 18 to 25 years old, we're, we're so stressed when it comes to picking a career because we know we're going to be asked about it for the next 50 or 60 years. And so we want to get it right. We don't want to pick a wrong career. We don't want to pick a wrong job. We want to get it right, especially when we explain to people why we're doing it. So that means for the rest of your life, once you get out of college, or once you start working full-time, at the minimum, you're going to be doing 40 hours a week, right? You normally, each one of us is going to be putting 40 hours towards a job. Maybe you do part-time, maybe you're 29 hours, maybe 15 hours, whatever it is. But if you, for however long, are working 40 hours towards a job in that next season of life, right, and you do that for a year, that's 2,080 hours a year, okay? So that means in 365 days, your job, your career, you're going to put over 2,000 hours towards that job, which is a fourth of the year, right? That is a fourth of your year. So you got to sleep. That's a fourth. You got to work. That's a fourth. So half of your life going forward each year is going to be work and sleep. So that means, right, it's important to sleep well, number one. Amen. Anybody deep sleepers? Hallelujah. Good for you, not me. Light sleeper. I sleep with a fan. When it turns off, I wake up immediately. It's a miserable life. Right? You got to sleep well. It's a fourth of your life, a fourth of your year. Well, you need to get your job and your career right because it's a fourth of your year. So 2,000 hours. So when you get asked the question, Elijah, what do you do for a living? Remember something. And I wrote this down in my notes. The, the reason people say for a living, especially in America, is because there's so many Americans who are just working jobs so that they can live. That's a big part of our culture. There's a lot of people working jobs just so that they can live. And with generations, it's changed over the years. But a lot of Americans view their job and their career, and some of you may see this in your parents, as just a means to eat 
to provide, to have a house. And sadly, that's why so many Americans live for the weekend. You even see it on every Instagram reel that you're scrolling through. Like, that's still a part of our culture, right? Getting to Friday, getting to Saturday, getting to Sunday. The sad reality is there's a lot of Americans, not far from your and my age, who work five days just so they can live two days. They, they spend their whole life, this is the reality of the next season, they spend their whole life working five days to live for two. Is that the life you want? Because that's not the life Christ is offering us, to just work five days to be able to have food and have a roof and live for two. Christ is offering you so much more than just that. Now, for our generation, for millennials and for Gen Z, we take a little bit of a different approach if you look and study at the generational differences, right? Let me give you some of these before we go to Proverbs. So a lot of us in our generation, the younger people, we view our career as more of a means to obtaining self-value, right, and self-worth. We, we don't as necessarily as often just do it to get by. We really want to put our soul into it and hoping that, hey, from that career, we find value. From what we do, we find affirmation. And, and here's the reality of that. When you're living for your career to give you something it can't give you, you're going to choose a career that you think will make you the happiest, but it never will. Or you'll choose a career that will make you the richest, but that money cannot provide what your soul needs. Or you'll choose a career that will make you the most popular, the most comfortable. I mean, you fill in the blank. For you, it's different for me. Most comfortable, most popular, whatever the list may be. And tonight, I want to challenge your view of your career, of your job, of your work, of whatever's next. Okay? I want to challenge your view of it in this way. As you wrestle with what you're supposed to do, Sam, as you wrestle with your purpose, as you wrestle with, hey, what is God's plan for my life? As you wrestle with that, I want to challenge you to make sure you're wrestling with God and not just wrestling with the world or your flesh. Because if you're going back and forth, you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. Like, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me joyful? And God is not a huge, if not the primary part of that process, you're not going to find what you are looking for. And you'll find yourself outside of God's will. This means God has to be the primary voice at your table and the primary influence in your decision making. If you've ever heard questions like these, what is God's will for me? What if I choose the wrong path? How do I know God's will for my life if he hasn't told it to me fully? What do I do Questions that we all ask throughout all parts of our life. I want to go to scripture tonight and I want to look at what God's word has to say about that. And so as we look at Proverbs, if you will, turn your attention with me to Proverbs 19. And let's tackle this idea of career and calling and purpose tonight. Proverbs is the book of wisdom written by David's son, Solomon. And the verse that we're going to look at tonight is a, is a critical one. It's one verse, but I have many references I want us to look at throughout scripture. It's an incredible verse, one to memorize, one to store away, and it's going to be verse 21. So if you will, look with me. This is chapter 19 of Proverbs. We're going to look at verse 21. I'll read it a couple of times. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This right here is the ESV version. I'll read you the CSV as well. It says, many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Let me pray, and then I have two things for you tonight. 
Heavenly Father, we love you. And Laura, we're so grateful to be gathered here tonight in your house to worship, to pray, to be gathered with people who are seeking after you. And Lord, we pray that, thank you for allowing us to get here safe, help us to get home safe. And Lord, we just pray that tonight as we spend time together that we would grow in unity and grow in the love of your son and grow in love for each other and help each other, Lord. God, we pray that you would speak every word through me tonight, Lord, that you would have everything to say. God, we want to hear from you. We pray that you would give us great clarity and wisdom in our call and in our purpose. And Lord, we pray against the enemy. We pray against his attacks, Lord, that you would bind him in the name of Jesus from this place. And so, Lord, we love you. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? <clears throat> amen. I have two things for you. Here's the first one. Number one, it's more than a career. It's a calling. The first idea that we've got to look at as we look at the plans and purposes of the Lord, we have to understand in our context today, it is more than a career. It is a calling. Now, our culture, call means a lot of things, right? Umpires call a game, right? You say they call a game. We get phone calls every day. People are calling you to talk to you, to communicate with you, right? I went to the Grizzlies game last night. Praise the Lord that the Grizzlies are back on the W column. They lost a few games. It was incredible. I went with my dad, and it was so cool. It was a birthday present for him. We got to see Ja go crazy. Jaron Jackson had a good game. And last night, right, you're talking about the referees. They either had good calls or bad calls, right? Good calls or bad calls. That can mean a decision within a game, right? When, when the referees have authority within the game, they make a call, and the players have to follow that call because they have authority, right? Call means a lot of different things in our culture today. But biblically, what does it mean to receive a calling from the Lord? Right, because you hear people say that a lot of times, right? You hear people say, like, I, I believe I'm called to do this. I believe I'm called to do that. Or if they don't use that language, people will say, I think God wants me to do this. Or I'm thinking God is, is leading me this way or God is pushing me that way. What does that really mean? And if you asked a lot of Christians right now on the spot what it means to define a call from the Lord, a lot of us would, would have a hard time really defining biblically what it means to receive a call. So first I want to take you to Hebrews and I want to show you that we have the same commands. And the commands, you can write this down, you know this, the commands that we have from the Lord are to love the Lord our God. There's many of them, I'm just giving you a couple. To love the Lord our God. Jesus told us to love our neighbor. Ultimately, we have the Great Commission. Found in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And lo, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the Great Commission, right? So, so Bellevue statement, love God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. All of us have that command. But how we do that is unique to each one of us in this room because your career is probably going to be different than my career. And Hebrews, I love these verses in Hebrews chapter 13. This will be on the screen, verses 20 to 21. It says this, the author of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, verse 21, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. An incredible verse of scripture. Now, I love verse 21 because the purposes of the Lord are to equip right, us with everything good that we need to do. Whose will? 
Uh, okay, thank you. A couple people. Man, listen, it's okay to make noise in church. Amen? I know he's still getting right. But he's equipping us to do whose will? God's will. His will. Working in us that, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ who gets the glory. And then in terms of an overall call and command for our lives, Jesus makes it very clear, right? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, and it's a big for it's not about me. He says in Luke 9 verse 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, right? Jesus makes it clear. We know this. Now take the series that we have and let's connect last week and this week, right? So last week we talked about the cross. We talked about what Jesus did on the cross, that he paid the greatest penalty, it brings the greatest intimacy, and through it we have the greatest victory, right? Amen. Now take that and you and me got to carry our cross, right? If we've been crucified with Christ, we have to carry our cross. So now take that to your career. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at other aspects of your life. That means as you choose your career, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Have you ever thought about it in that way? Because we read this and we're like, yeah, we read this and a lot of us are like, you know what, if I had to, I would die for the gospel, <laughs> right? We take this as like, man, if somebody puts me at a point where they ask me if I love Jesus, I've got to say yes Right, I, I, well, that's how we think of this verse. Like, if I'm on the point where I've got to die, I've just got to do it. And that's good, but that's not really the, the key thing because it's not just one moment where we don't deny Christ. It says take up his cross, what? Daily. This is a reoccurring thing. So as you work through your call, as you choose your career, as you are working a job every day, now, work that job and deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Christ through that job, for that job, within that job, coming out of that job. That's God's call for you is to deny yourself within that. So now take that to your season of life, 18 to 25 years old. As you're figuring out what to do, how do you choose a career? Step one, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him. Daniel, how can you say deny myself, though? It's my career. Is it? Ah, oh, snap. Hold on. And some of you guys are like, all right, I'm cool with the pastor until he starts telling me my career is not my career, right? We're all good with sermons until the pastor says, your time's not your time. Your money's not your money. Your car's not your car, right? Like, we're, we're good with preachers until that happens. When that happens, we're like, all right, I'm done with this dude. Let me go somewhere else. But is it your career? Like, does that career belong to you? And that's the whole idea we have to go back to with this series. Like, is your life yours? Or does it belong to a higher power? Does it belong to your creator who loves you and designed you? Because if your body and your life and your soul belongs in the right hand of the Father, then your career is not really your career. Like we're going to talk about interests and passions and joy and all those things too. I don't believe God calls us to just work jobs we hate. I don't believe that you can make an argument scripturally that God's going to make you do something that you just absolutely hate, especially if it's not bringing him glory. <laughs> But as you choose your career, that means that God is calling you into it so that he gets ultimate glory, right? That he is being glorified through what you're doing in your career. So as you choose, may we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. It's a career that belongs ultimately to the Lord. I'll tell you this, one of the greatest commands of the Lord, you want to know what God is, what his will is for you. One of the clearest statements in Scripture on what God's will is for your life, right? If you walk out those doors tonight and you say, you know what, I know this about my life, 
right? You may not tonight walk out and know whether it's engineering or accounting. You may not walk out tonight and have clarity on if you're supposed to live in California or Oregon or Texas or overseas. You may not walk out tonight with that clarity. Maybe. Praise God. But if you walk out with clarity on God's will for your life, walk out with this. And I do hope, I pray that like this encourages you, but I pray it pierces your heart the way it pierces my heart. One of the clearest statements about God's will for your life is for you to be, watch this, thankful. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Paul says this, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Woo! For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Be thankful. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, be thankful. Be grateful. It's ungodly to live ungrateful. I can't say it any other way. I can clearly tell you one part of God's plan for your life tonight, and that's for you to be thankful. In all circumstances, which means when your job's going great, you're thankful. When your job's going bad, you're thankful. When school's going great, you're thankful. When school's going bad, you're thankful. Why? Because God is still good regardless of the circumstances. Because remember, Bryson, God is over your circumstances. Your circumstances are not over God. I'll tell you this. Some of you are in bad circumstances tonight. Some of you, your job's tough, your school's tough, your family's tough. I get that. But let me tell you, as encouragingly as I can say it, hear this. Your circumstances don't have the power to change who God is. But who God is has the power to change your circumstances. Hallelujah. Grateful, thankful. Thankful that we even get to choose a career. Thankful that we live in a society and a culture where, where we have a God that's so involved in our life, he cares about our joy in our career. That he cares enough to call us to something that might not make us happy all the time. You sure can't say that scripturally. Happiness is not God's ultimate desire for you. It's holiness that you would be like Jesus. But that he would care about you so much to call you to something that's going to give you joy. I think that's incredible. Because... I don't have time to go there. We got to do something, maybe a part two. If I had went on that, I, we'd be here all night, so we can't do that. Don't worry. We always, I want to stay on ungratefulness for just a moment, though. We always think of ungodliness as stealing, immorality, murder. Like, we always think of ungodliness and sin as those big things. But Scripture is very clear. God's will is for you to be grateful in whatever. So ungratefulness and unthankfulness is just as disgusting as all those other sins in the Bible because we have such a good God. Now I get it, like your life may be in a hard place right now, but don't forget that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, found himself nailed to a cross. And guess what happened? A resurrection when nobody thought it could. So in your trial, in your worry, in your hardship, when you go through a crucifixion, the God we serve is always bringing a resurrection. Always bringing a resurrection. And I think that's incredible. Now, in the Bible, we see God call so many people. And this is where you can talk back to me, because I don't like doing just all the talking. In the Bible, we see God call so many people. Shout out a name. Who do we see God clearly call to something? Just give me a name. Moses, Moses right? I'm telling you, man, pray. we know Moses is a call. We had the whole front of the second row right here. Moses is clearly called, right? So let's go to that for a minute. Moses, big burning bush moment, right? 
encounter with God. God reveals, he's the great I am, right? I am who I am, his personal name, Jehovah. And in that moment, God clearly gives Moses a task, a role, a part to play, right? And Moses' big thing is to lead God's people, who he made the covenant with Abraham with, out of slavery and out of Egypt, to lead them to freedom, right? Moses' big role is to approach and confront Pharaoh and lead Israel out of slavery. Give me another name. Okay, I heard a lot of names. Noah, yes, the ark, the flood. God gave Noah specific instructions. I'll give you one, Joseph, right? God called Joseph to become over Egypt. And one day at the end of his life, he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, after all the bad things that had happened, that what man meant for evil, God meant for good, which means humans' plan was working against Joseph, for sure, God didn't throw Joseph in that pit. His brothers did. But even when humans' plans are working against you, God's plan is working for you. Amen? Woo, man. What man means for evil, God means for good. Listen, now let's go to the New Testament. Jesus very clearly calls Peter to follow him, right? He calls the 12 disciples, and he tells Peter, follow me, and I will make you a fisherman. Like, he calls Peter forward to follow me. In the New Testament, you go to Acts. Saul, who was murdering and persecuting Christians, gets called for a specific task, really to become a church planner, right? To, to preach the gospel and to plant churches and then to encourage and strengthen those churches, right? Like we see a role happening. Has God stopped calling people in the Bible today? Like, do you really think the God that we study who knew all things and was working all things out for, for good and for his glory is not doing that same thing in your life? For, for me, in my life. I tell you my story of my call so that you can think about yours. There was a time I was very clearly called to coach basketball. High school. My former coach approached me and let me know that he had a spot and he needed somebody to step in and coach. I was 18 years old and he gave me an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than myself. And I wanted it. I wanted to jump in. I wanted to coach. I wanted to be a part of it. And immediately, the first morning practice I went to at 7.15 in the morning before school, I found myself immediately building relationships with those players. Some of them are here tonight at The View, right? Like immediately started building relationships with them. Just immediately. Like it was natural. It was like, man, I hit it off with these guys. Like I connect with them. Like we hang out. Like this is cool. I like this. Like he revealed to me a call. And then years later, that call lasted for five years. I had no idea I was going to be in ministry, no idea I was going to be a pastor. I have no idea what is next, and I love it. But for those five years, I was called to be a coach. What is he calling you to? I want to give you two things to help you. Whenever God calls, he always gives two things. You evaluate your life and see if you see him. Whenever he calls, you write this down. He's going to give you new information, new information, and new responsibility. Every call you see in scripture, we just talked about Moses, he's a great one. God gave new information and new responsibility. The information he revealed to Moses was his plan. I am who I am, the great I am is going with you, his personal name. And then he gave Moses a responsibility. Hey, you are going to lead my people out of Egypt. You are going to lead them out of slavery. For me, with coaching, the new information I got is that, man, I hit it off with guys who are trying to be basketball players. I might be a good basketball coach. Like, I'm building relationships with these guys where we have a real friendship here. 
And then the responsibility was very quick. Hey, we have an open spot. We want you to coach it. And I began to have a form of authority on that team. Where do you see that in your life? Where is God opening up new information? Which might be your passions, your interests, your gifts, your talents? Where is he giving you responsibility? Where are people asking for your help? Where are people asking you, hey, come be a part of this, come do this? Because that is a surefire sign that God is calling you into something. Because most notably, when he gives us information and responsibility, it's coming from prayer, it's coming from his word, it's coming from the people around us who love us and are affirming it in us. It's coming from the Holy Spirit of God that lives in your body, if you're a believer, drawing you to do something. And so I'm telling you, you can find what you're called to. When you identify in your life where God has given you new information and new responsibility, when you look at the call of Abraham, I'll put this on the screen. In Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, the Lord says this to Abram. He says, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. In this call alone, you see new information and you see new responsibility. That's a call. Do you have anything like that? Right? Like, you're trying to pick a degree. You're trying to pick a job. Has God given you anything you're passionate about? But let's go back for a minute because there's, there's a couple things working at play, right? You got to pick a career in our culture today. Let's address that. Like you got to pick a career, but you also are called to pick up your cross and deny Christ daily. But you don't want to just pick a career that is terrible, but you know, hey, I'm supposed to carry a cross. Like they're suffering to the Christian life. So what's the balance here, right? And this is what's so hard to find in our generation. Here's what I want to encourage you with. If you will truly seek after the Lord, I'm skipping ahead, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we put it on every Christian t-shirt. It's on bumper stickers. It's on coffee mugs. Even if you ain't been in church, you know these verses. And yet so often we barely live them out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. that God will tell you if you trust him. And if you make your career not about you, but about him, he will reveal so much to you. Because whatever career you do end up having, you're going to have years and years and years of opportunity to either make it about you or to make it about the Lord. And if you make it about you, you're never going to be happy. Man, it's amazing whenever somebody comes into your life to pour into your life. I hope that you've had a mentor. I hope that you have had somebody who has discipled you. If not, we can help you with that at The View. But man, it's such a blessing. I was, when I was first coming into the Christian faith, I had a man named Tom Horton who poured into my life. And he was a, a deacon here at Bellevue and served for many, many, many years at Bellevue. His wife is still serving in the college ministry with us here at The View. And Tom Horton was an incredible guy. When we met for discipleship, it never failed. He loved Panera Bread. And I have a good love for Panera Bread because of Tom Horton's Panera Bread. I think their mac and cheese is incredible. It is so much better than Chick-fil-A's. I stand by it. It's, it's the Panera Bread mac and cheese is so much better. It's so much better. You know it is. 
Man, listen, you go in there, you pay an arm and a leg for anything in Panera Bread. They take your shoes for a sandwich. My goodness. They take your shoes for a sandwich. It's crazy. But, man, I'll tell you what, you can't argue with it. It's good. You're still, you still hungry afterwards, but it's good. Man, you sit down in a nice environment. You got the cup, you know. Man, you paid your shoes. We'd always go to Panera Bread, man. We'd be inside Panera Bread. He'd have his Bible, notebook. He'd have his prayer cards. He'd bring what he prayed for me last week, the next week, to ask me about it, right? Like, that's intentional. How many times are we like, oh, how can I pray for you? And then we never pray for that person. You know, he'd bring an index card of how he prayed about it, you know? He's like, hey, I want you to know, I, you told me to pray for this, but I prayed actually a little bit extra for it. And I'm like, he's like, hope that's okay. I'm like, keep praying extra, <laughs> you know? Like, believe me, I need it. I'm trying to figure this Christian thing out. He's a godly man. He would always, always just, like, use what he did for a living to bless people. Like, I hope that you guys know you know, if you're here at Bellevue, I hope you know members of the church who are godly, and I hope that you know people in your church that are godly, because he worked in the secular world, and he used his career, he used his money, he used his finances, he used his resources to bless people. And he always, every year, would, would encourage me and Hannah, him and his wife, and they, would, and they would give us a gift card. And Mr. Tom, listen, he was smooth with it. He shopped at Joseph A. Bank, Amen. Now, that's an expensive store. I don't shop at Joseph A. Bank. I walk in, and they tell me, sir, you're in the wrong store. <laughs> right? like, I walk in looking like this, and they're like, uh, do you know what a tie is, sir? We've probably never seen one, right? He's a smooth roller. And he always give me gift cards to Joseph A. Banks to take care of me. Because in ministry, listen, in church, you got to dress up nice sometimes. And when I started in ministry, I had like two button downs, and they were mediums. <laughs> Look, I can't wear mediums now. I wasn't wearing mediums then, amen? I wasn't. He always gave me Joseph Red Bank gift cards. And Mr. Tom, he passed away back in the spring, and uh, he lived an incredible life, impacted so many people, had the chance to speak at his, at his funeral. And it was just really, really incredible to honor him and see how many people were there that he had impacted through his career, through his finances, through how God had blessed him and had given him gifts in the business world. And it was really incredible. So me and my wife the other day, we were going to, you know, big man's getting married back there. Dakota, how many days away are you from getting married? 39 days away. Amen. Hallelujah. We'll make some noise for that. Amen. Him and Skylar are getting married. Did you say 39? I didn't even hear it. 39? That was my bus number in elementary school. Y'all didn't ask for that, but <laughs> bus 39. What was her name? What was the bus driver's name? She was weird. What was her name, Mom? I can't remember. Miss Norman. That's what it was. She was an awful bus driver. I hope she's not here. That'd be weird if she was anyway. She's not in college. 39 days till the cousin's wedding. And uh, I had to go get a suit. I was the last one, I think, in the party to get my suit. But I got it. I got it. And so excited for big man. And uh, we get up there, and I got to pay for this suit. And Hannah goes in her bag, and she pulls out two gift cards. And I'm looking at the gift cards, and I'm like, hey, where'd she find these Joseph A. Man gift cards? And it hits me. Mr. Tom always gave me Joseph A. Bank gift cards. And we don't really know how much is on the gift cards, so the guy behind the counter who's wearing a bow tie, much fancier than me, scans both gift cards into the system. And he looks at us and he's like, well, that'll cover it. I'll pay for the whole suit. And you can ask my wife. I just kind of stood there and had this moment of like, wow. <laughs> Tom Horton has been off this earth, has been gone for almost a year, and still, because of the way he chose to live his life and use his finances and use his career, 
he's going to have an impact at Dakota's wedding day. Like when I marry Dakota, because I'm doing their wedding, I get to stand up there in a suit that Tom Horton paid for for me. And I just had this moment of like, wow, how incredible is it that Tom Horton, and not for his glory, but the, how the Lord used Tom Horton has a role in Dakota's wedding because of how he used his life. Some of you say, well, that's great for Tom Horton. What does that mean for me? Well, how are you going to use your career one day? Because listen, if you use it for you, and use it for your name, and use it for your comfort, and use it for your legacy, like, it won't last. You don't know your great-great-grandfather's name. Most of us in this room don't even know our great-grandparents' names. Your great, that means your great-grandkids probably won't know your name. But for 2,000 years, you know the name we're all worshiping tonight? It don't matter if your great-grandkids know your name, but you better make sure they know Jesus' name. So how do you want to use your career? What legacy do you want to have? One that says Daniel Harris? Or your name, insert there. Or the name that will last for all eternity. How you use your career, your finances, and your calling are going to come down to that. Now, I got one more thing to give you. Number two. Even a portion of God's will calls for your full faith. We're going to go back to all those accounts we just mentioned in Scripture. Even a portion of God's will calls for your full faith, right? Our verse tonight, many plans are in the mind of a person or in the heart of a person, but it's ultimately the, the Lord's decree that will prevail, the Lord's will that will prevail. Now, when it comes to God's will for our lives, most times we only have a portion of it. We only have a part of God's will. And this is incredible how the Lord does this, because if you think about it, God often doesn't give the full picture. If he did, we wouldn't have to have much faith, right? He gives it in small, small increments. He reveals portions of his will one at a time in our life. He often gives you a step, not the full map. Right? He's given you a step. He's given you a map. Think about this. Abraham did not, in that call, have all the details from the Lord as to what it was going to look like, Tanner. He didn't. He was told to go and obey. And here's what God's going to do down the road. But he had to obey. He had to go. Think about King David. Many of us are familiar with King David in the Old Testament. Do you know how many years? There were many, many years in between David's anointing as king to when he actually sat on the throne. Years. And do you know, like when he was anointed as king to the day he sat on his throne, what happened during that time frame? Some of us forget. We're like, man, David must have just been living it up, like thriving before he sat on the throne. He was anointed. He knew he was going to be king, right? Like God had a plan. God was working his will out. No, those years in between God's call and anointing to David as king to the day he sat on the throne, David was on the run for his life. He was being chased by Saul, uh, trying to murder him. There was loneliness, desperation, and hurt and pain in between God's initial anointing and call to when he actually sat on the throne. And what's incredible about how God works is that he used all of that hurting and pain and suffering and, and, and terror that David went through to prepare him to sit on the throne one day as king. David made plenty of mistakes, but during that time, he wasn't out of God's will. Those were trainings. Those were opportunities for what God was going to give David. And David didn't know that. David didn't have the full picture. We do because we have the Bible. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what the next year holds. And 2020 taught us that. We don't know what society holds. But God does. So can you operate with a little bit 
of the picture? Can you operate with a little bit of what God is giving you? Because a lot of times, and I'm just being really honest with you guys, a lot of times in the Bible, all they had was 10% of God's will. But they were called to 100% faith. You know what we do today? We're operating with 10% faith because we're waiting to get 100% of God's will. I've been there so many times. We want 100% of the will when we're only operating with 10% of the faith. Guys, it don't work like that. That's not faith. That's not following God and trusting him, right? I'll show you what scripture has to say about this. One of the most incredible verses you're familiar with, this, this one, I'm sure. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's not a spotlight. It's a lamp. It doesn't show you the mile. It shows you the step, right? That's how God's word is leading you. It leads you by the day, not always by the years. But we get hungry and we want to know more and that causes us to stumble. One of the verses that I read at a crucial time in my life when I was face down at the park, I read this verse. It says, Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Proverbs 16, verse 3. I'll give you another proverb tonight. It says this, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. If you will commit your work to the Lord, your plans will be established. And i got to give you guys one more verse from Joshua. It says, Joshua 1, verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So my question to you tonight, can you operate in faith if you only have a part of the picture? If God has only given you a portion, can you operate in faith? What do you know? Tonight, you know, it's his will for you to be thankful. But what do you know about your life from God? Maybe you know a gift, a skill, a talent. What do you know And then let me ask you this. Are you being faithful with what you do know? Because he who is not faithful with little is not going to be faithful with much. Now, the last thing I'll give you, and I do pray that this helps you, because some of you have chosen a degree. Some of you are working. Some of you are like on a path. You are walking. What I want to do is how a question I get asked all the time, this is where we're going to land, a question I get asked at life groups, I get asked this on campus, I get asked this all the time. How do I know when I'm on the right path? How do I know I'm really walking towards what God has for me? How do I know I'm not going the wrong direction? Right? Like, how do I know I'm not going the wrong way? Like, how do I really find that out practically? Daniel? Like, I know prayer, I know the word. How do I really know I'm headed in the right direction? I want to give you four things. These won't be on the screen, but I want you to write them down. Four ways scripturally to know that you are following God's path for your life, his call. The first one is inner peace. Inner peace. We have to remember that as believers, we have God's spirit living inside our bodies. The word says, that God will be the voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, if you are hearing God's voice when it comes to right or left, you're going to have an inner peace from the Lord. It's a supernatural peace. 
It's a within thing. That doesn't mean your circumstances are all smooth sailing. Sometimes it means the opposite. Circumstances are bad, but you have an inner peace over that degree, right? You have an inner peace over that job, right? Like, hey, my job's hard, but I'm supposed to be here, right? Like, I have a peace about it. Do you have a peace? Or is it constant turmoil? Is it just like, ah, I don't know. Like, I'm going back and forth with this degree. I'm going back and forth with this job. Like, that's not the Lord's plan for you. I mean, again, can we put Psalm 32 verse 8 back up? Right? Like, here's an inner peace. If you know that in your career and in your job, you're serving the Lord and trying to glorify him, then you're going to have a peace in the fact that God is the one instructing you, that God is teaching you in the way you should go, that he has his eye upon you, an inner peace. Do you have peace or do you have turmoil on the path you're on? And some of you guys, you know, let me be real honest for a minute. Some of you guys are on a path that you know very clearly is not the Lord's path. I've been there. Like some of you guys in here are following after the world. Like you are living for the world. Like you want all the sin. You want all, all that the world has to offer. That's cool. I've been there. I get it. But let me ask you, are you sick and tired yet of nothing but turmoil on the inside? That hurt, that loneliness, that always needing more thing is because you don't have an inner peace because you don't know your creator. You don't know Jesus Christ. You're living for the world. So inner peace, number two. Confirmation by godly people. Confirmation by godly people. When I first voiced that I think I might be called to preach the gospel, like as a preacher, right? Like as a public communicator, right? When I first voiced that, <laughs> If people around me were like, hey, man, <laughs> look, you know we love you, right? <laughs> but that, that might not be the plan God has for you. And it was coming from godly people. I would have considered it, honestly. I would have been like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, chasing off to something wrong, you know? So, like, if you're going into engineering, if you're going into ministry, if you're going into graphic design, if you're going to be a doctor, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Like, do other people who are godly confirm you in that? Like, man, I could really see you thriving. And this is going to lead me into number three, like glorifying the Lord through that, right? So here's number three. Effectiveness for the gospel. Ooh-wee. This is where it gets a little tough, right? Effectiveness for the gospel. So let me be very honest, okay? If you're a believer and you're wanting to live for the Lord, if you are going into a career and you don't see yourself being effective for the gospel, that's probably not God's will for your life. Because ultimately, a career's purpose is for you to be effective with the gospel. That's the whole point of a career, is God's going to give you an outlet. He's going to give you a career. He's going to put you around people who would never come to church and never want to hear the gospel, but he's going to use your relationship with them to get them the gospel, right? So if you, let's just take engineering. If you're going into engineering and you have no plan and no hope and no confidence to use it for the gospel, why are you on that path? Fill in the blank. Like, why are you on that path? And here's a great test in college, if you're effective in your engineering classes for the gospel, you'll probably be effective in engineering for the gospel. Isn't it amazing how that works? Isn't that crazy? Right? It just goes back to the whole concept, right? If you're effective in this room to encourage people, you'll probably be effective out there in the world to encourage people. Right? Like, your job right now, I work at Chick-fil-A. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. I guess everybody in there is believers. I mean, it's Christian chicken. <laughs> but there's lost people at Chick-fil-A, too. Believe me, they don't all say my pleasure. I caught them slipping. I caught them slipping. But it's fine. I ain't going to rat them out. 
If you work at Chick-fil-A right now and you don't see yourself being effective for the gospel, I don't, I'm not going to beat you up. I don't feel effective like for the gospel And when I was coaching every single day. Like it's hard out there. But do you see any layer, any level at Chick-fil-A or Home Depot or wherever you're working right now for the gospel? Is there any effectiveness, right? And that might be building a lost relationship with somebody that's not a believer, just getting to know them, like building a relationship with them. Like if you're seeing effectiveness for the gospel there, trust that one day God's going to use you in your career down the road. But if you're not seeking after that at Chick-fil-A, why would you seek after it at an engineering job? That's just the whole mantra, that's the whole idea that Christ is trying to get us to get, that what you do today is setting you up for tomorrow, right? Effectiveness for the gospel. And then number four, the last one I'll give you, joy. Joy. You know what? I have an inner peace about what I'm doing, where I'm at. I have the confirmation of others, godly people. I see myself being effective for the gospel. And you know what? I have joy in what I'm doing. Now, that doesn't mean everything is the way you want it to be. Doesn't mean everything is the way I want it to be. Being a pastor, my gosh, many days are so hard. Like if I was being a pastor because... It was easy. I wouldn't still be a pastor. I'll be honest. And that's the same for coaching. That's the same for engineering. If I was in this for the comfort, I wouldn't be in it. I'm in it for the first three things I said and because I have joy doing what I do every day. Even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when it's a grind, the late nights, the early mornings, like I have joy knowing that I'm getting to do exactly what God's called me to do and I'm not going to change it until he tells me that I have something to do different tomorrow. There's a joy. Do you have that joy? If you give your career to God, you will have joy. If you give your today and your degree and your job to God, you will have joy. If you don't give your job, if you don't give your life, if you don't give your plans to God, that means you're holding on to it, which means your life and your job and your career are under your authority. Is that really where you want them to be? You and I can't control the weather. <laughs> we can't make it warm. You can't make your career go the way you want it to. You might get fired one day. But if God is in control, whatever happens, you live with joy. Now tonight in the room, God's biggest will for you is to know him personally. Do you know Jesus like that? Like last week we talked about the cross, like do you know Jesus personally? Like do you know him in a saving way where he has died for your sins and you know that and you know him personally? To where like, hey, I don't just know of God. He's not just somebody that I hear about. Like God is my God, right? Like Jesus is my savior. Like, are you at a point where you would say in your life, like, Jesus is my Savior. Like, I repented of my sins and trusted that Jesus paid for them. Like, Jesus paid my debt. He's mine. I belong to him. I am a Christian. I am the Lord's. Do you know that? Because in this room right now, I know some of you guys are hearing this 
as clear as day. The moment in your life where you repent of all the sins that you have committed and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that is the most important moment of your life. There is no moment in your career that will be more important than when you give your life to Jesus Christ. What that means is repenting of your sins, believing in him, and confessing that he's Lord. So I want to give you a chance. Some of you are here tonight. You don't know Jesus like that. He's not yours and you're not his yet. Like you don't know him in that way, but you can. I came to know Jesus at a public park the day after Christmas, 2015. You are here. And what I want to tell you is the most important thing you can do is not walk out of here without a relationship with Jesus. Jesus.